Act Two of One Act Play Collection Sixteen by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Barbara by Kenneth Sawyer Goodman. Characters. Barbara, read by Jen Broda. Archie, read by Andrew James. Eccles, Archie's manservant, read by Jim Hedrick. Stage directions read by Wayne Cook. The scene is in the living room of Mr. Archibald Filbert's bachelor apartment. As it is late afternoon of a winter day, the lamps are lighted. There is a door at the right into an entrance hall, and a door at the back into Archie's dressing room. The curtain rises on an empty stage. A moment later, the hall door opens softly, and Barbara enters. She is smartly dressed and carries a muff. After making quite sure that there is no one in the room, she takes a rather leisurely stock of its contents, and slips one or two small articles into her muff. She then goes to the dressing-room door, peeps through the curtains, glances behind her, and steps into the dressing-room just as Eccles enters from the hall with the afternoon papers. As Eccles lays the papers on the table, he misses the articles which Barbara has taken. Evidently catching a sound from the dressing-room, he tiptoes over, peeps through the curtains, and at once stands stiffly at attention. "'I beg your pardon, miss.' "'There is no answer.' "'Will you be good enough to step this way, miss?' Will you be good enough to step this way, madam? Barbara enters languidly, holding her muff before her. From it project a silver-backed brush and comb. You need not shout so. Eccles in a conciliatory voice. I had no desire to offend you, madam. Your first supposition was correct. I am unmarried. In either case, I am afraid I must require an explanation of your presence in Mr. Filbert's dressing-room. Are you speaking as a moralist or as a manservant? Purely in the latter capacity, miss, I assure you. It is clear that you entertain mistaken suspicions concerning me, or is it that you are merely impertinent? I trust that I shall not so far forget my place, miss, but I am bound to deduce certain conclusions from the evidence before me. I should like to know your process of reasoning. You have in your left hand a gold cigarette case, which I last saw upon Mr. Filbert's dressing-table. The inference is obvious. Barbara surrendering the cigarette case. I compliment you upon your perfect tact. It is not the first time I have been accorded a similar commendation, miss. A pause. I hope that you do not contemplate an exhibition of physical violence. Um, do you carry a weapon, miss? Naturally, I am armed. In that case, it is my first duty to search you. It is really a very tiny pistol. I have no pockets. It is stuck in my left garter. Then, miss, I shall be obliged to put you upon your honor while I turn my back. He turns his back. You need have no fear. I abhor the faintest suggestion of bloodshed. She stoops and takes a small pistol from her garter. What is your name? Eccles, miss. 
You may turn around, Eccles. He turns, and she hands him the pistol. Thank you, miss. And now what do you intend to do with me? I was thinking, miss, that I might telephone to detective headquarters. Possibly you are already acquainted there? I am as yet absolutely unknown to the police. I trust you will allow me to remain so. But surely, sooner or later... I had thought that if a truly ladylike person were unfortunate enough to become thus involved, a return of the pilfered articles accompanied by a note of apology would be considered ample restitution. When the ladylike person has friends or relatives of social prominence, there is no moral issue involved. The offense becomes an evidence of temperament, not of turpitude. I have no friends or relatives at present available. Then, miss... You are guilty of honest, downright burglary. My dear Eccles, I feel instinctively that you possess a keenly sympathetic mind. I shall tell you the entire story of my life. She sits down, Eccles looking at his watch. I fear, miss, that I have not the time to listen to a lengthy recital of erotic incidents. The narrative is absolutely chaste. I have never before infringed upon the ethical canons of civilization or the criminal laws of the United States. I have only today, after mature deliberation, entered upon a professional career of crime. It is not, of course, my place to offer suggestions. Suggestions are exactly what I desire to hear. May I point out that possibly some less hazardous means of livelihood? I have canvassed them all. I cannot even crochet. If it were not for a strict, puritanical conscience, I might have tried the so-called primrose path, but I have neither the temperament nor the constitution necessary to commercial success in that field. I am somewhat at a loss to advise you, miss. Barbara, rising. Perhaps if you would be so kind as to consider the question overnight and come to me at my hotel sometime tomorrow morning... Eccles, after a moment's thought. I think I may safely liberate you upon parole. Thanks. Shall we say at ten tomorrow morning? Very good, miss. Have you a card and pencil? On the table, miss. The doorbell rings twice. The bell? Mr. Filbert's ring, miss. You will not betray me to Mr. Filbert. I do not feel it to be necessary. But what am I to say to him? Anything, miss. You will find Mr. Filbert a charming and considerate young gentleman, but extremely dense. The bell rings again. You will have to excuse me, miss. He goes into the hall. Barbara sits down again placidly. Archie, speaking off stage. Dash take it. Eccles, I've shed my door key again. You haven't happened on it by chance. No, sir. Archie enters, followed by Eccles. Anyone been here? Only a lady, sir. A lady? Waiting at present to see you, sir. Archie, turning and seeing Barbara. Ah, I don't think I have the pleasure. Barbara, rising. My name is of no consequence. None in the least. I called upon you in regard to... In regard to... Merely... You will pardon me, but for one moment, I have forgotten what it was that I had in mind. She glances helplessly at Eccles. I believe, miss, that you mentioned a subscription toward the foundation of a home for destitute and abandoned cats. 
Quite so. A subscription. Eccles withdraws. I... However, it is of no consequence. I find that I have already wasted much valuable time. You will pardon me, I'm sure. I have an appointment of the greatest importance. She moves toward the door. This is most extraordinary. It is kind of you to take such a vivid interest. I will be glad to answer your questions at another date. Good afternoon. She extends her hand to Archie and, in doing so, drops the silver-backed brush. Archie, picking it up and looking at it. Oh, I say, really, you know. How awkward of me. Archie, looking into one end of the muff. But, but you appear to have most of my bureau silver in your muff. Only a part of it. The muff is much too small. I shall have to obtain a larger one. She takes the brush from Archie and thrusts it back into the muff. Am I to understand? I find myself quite incapable of outwitting you, Mr. Filbert. Deceit is so foreign to my nature. I am merely a professional burglar. Is this some curious sort of pleasantry? Not at all. I do not believe in treating one's chosen profession with levity. But upon my soul... Since there is nothing more to tell, I must ask you to allow me to withdraw. One moment, if you please. Barbara, taking the brush and several other toilet articles from the muff and thrusting them into Archie's arms. I have returned your comb and brush. Your latch key, which I have unfortunately slipped into the bodice of my dress, I will return to you by post tomorrow. I apologize for my intrusion. I think that should be sufficient. Archie, going to the table and putting down the recovered loot. Wait, I must take the liberty of speaking to Eccles. He strikes the bell. By all means. She sits down again placidly. Eccles enters. You rang, sir? Eccles, this young lady has just made me a most extraordinary revelation. Quite so, sir. I am already acquainted with the circumstances. I think you should have uh, consulted me at once. Oh, begging your pardon, sir. I have not been in the habit of consulting you as to my own private conversations with ladies, nor in matters affecting your own good. You have doubtless saved me much trouble and annoyance. More than you can possibly dream, sir. In this case, however... I have merely taken the liberty of paroling the young lady on her own recognizance. It is my opinion that we ought to ring at once for the police. I am convinced that this is the lady's first offence, and advise most strongly against any such suggestion. Barbara, rising. I am then at liberty to go? By no means. I am truly sorry, but I cannot become an accessory before the fact to any future crimes which you may commit. Barbara sits down again. I have recently become a member of the Society for the Strict Punishment of First Offences. I am heartily in accord with its expressed views. I am not thinking wholly of my own position. I am thinking particularly of you. I feel a grave moral responsibility for your future welfare. I feel it as a sacred charge laid upon me. It is very sweet of you, Mr. Filbert, to put it that way. I would suggest that if you allowed me to fetch tea, sir. I cannot see any occasion for further discussion. 
On the contrary, you have opened a vast field for conversion. Let us have tea by all means. Very good, miss. He goes out. My dear young lady, I must warn you that further entreaties... I shall not entreat. I have thought much in the last fifty seconds, and it seems to me that all you have told me is perfectly true. You have accepted my future as a sacred trust laid upon you. I acknowledge the bond between us with a perfect sense of security. I fear this is getting a trifle beyond my intelligence. I can see your point so clearly. As you say, you alone are responsible for whatever I may become. I must abandon my previous inclinations and desires. You spoke of your moral responsibility for my welfare. Very well. I accept your generosity with a thankful heart. Do as you like with me. I ought to ring for the police. Oh, no. That would be so obviously shifting the burden. Since you have formed such definite ideas regarding my duty towards you, would you kindly tell me what else I could possibly do? I cannot in decency turn you loose to prey upon my neighbours. As you say, you cannot in decency turn me adrift. Clearly you must provide for me, then. Provide for you? I mean, of course, you must use your influence, then, to obtain me employment. Unfortunately, I have no influence. Then you must make me an allowance. I will be most certainly dashed. You must not forget, Mr. Filbert, that I am, in a sense, your ward. I do not wish to intrude my private affairs so early in our acquaintance, but I must inform you, Miss... Miss... Let us come at once to an informal footing. You may call me Barbara. Barbara is not my name, but it will serve. It has such pleasant vowels. Archie, sitting himself beside her. Very well, then. My dear Bob, I shall make a clean breast of my position. You see before you a man in destitute circumstances. Destitute? Figuratively penniless. I have today stretched my credit to its breaking points by the acquisition of a winter wardrobe. Tonight I give Eccles a month's notice. My dear Archie, your name, I believe, is Archibald? Yes. I read it on your doorplate. My dear Archie, since matters have gone so far, we can merely make the best of the situation. I have acknowledged the tie which exists between us. I shall not attempt to sever it because of your pecuniary misfortune. That is very kind of you, I am sure. Wait, I do not desire credit for a purely womanly sentiment. Since you are unable to shoulder the moral responsibility for my future, it is clear that I must shoulder the responsibility of yours. But my previous relations with women outside my own social circle, of course, would hardly recommend me as the victim of a platonic experiment. That is all the more reason why I should not desert you. The more or less constant companionship of a pure and attractive woman cannot fail to be of benefit to you morally and intellectually. I shall overlook all past peccadilloes. You need apologize no further. Eccles enters with the tea. Archie, rising. Eccles. Yes, sir? By Jove, I say. You simply must help me out. In what way, sir? 
I find that my prospects and my personality, and my private affairs, are becoming inextricably tangled with those of Barbara. Um, who is Barbara? I am Barbara. And I cannot at present see any possibility of disentangling them. If it were not that I dislike exceedingly to appear in the role of the advice-giving manservant, so prevalent, unfortunately, in modern drawing-room comedy, I should recommend you, sir, not to try to disentangle them. Archie, putting up his hand. You forget that I have engaged myself to marry my second cousin, Miss Agatha Chirpstone. I have never approved of the engagement, sir. Miss Chirpstone has been most carefully brought up. She has been given every modern educational advantage. Her influence on your character is therefore certain to be deplorable. But what am I to do? Eccles, after a moment's thought. Form an alliance with this young lady. But, my dear Eccles, owing to the laxity of opinion among people of culture and refinement, I am afraid such an alliance, as you call it, would not be considered sufficient provocation for a break between Miss Chirpstone and myself. I am not suggesting immorality. What else are you suggesting? Marriage, contracted with another person, would automatically cancel your obligation to Miss Chirpstone. Barbara, reaching for a cake. I had not contemplated an arrangement of so formal a nature. That is, of course, a matter to be decided strictly between yourselves. It is an idea. I certainly shall not refuse Mr. Filbert's proposal offhand. There is, however, the question of money to be considered. Quite so. I had counted on Miss Chirpstone as an avenue to financial rehabilitation. Mr. Filbert informs me that he is virtually penniless. I have been aware of that fact for some time, miss. We shall be obliged to support ourselves. There is the stage. By your leave, I have had a little experience in that direction myself, before I entered service. I was, for quite a period, upon the variety stage. Time was, miss, when a neat pair of ankles combined with even an act of trained seals was considered acceptable on the major circuits. Today, the sidewalks of any town or village furnish sufficient entertainment for the curious. We might further pursue Barbara's talent for light burglary. I am sure I would make a most excellent confederate, my social acquaintance... I fear I have not the talent I thought. I quite agree with you, miss. Housebreaking is out of the question. It requires a certain perspicacity and finesse in which, I regret to say, you are both somewhat lacking. You speak with amazing authority, Eccles. Before going upon the variety stage, I was, for some time, a burglar myself, and am therefore qualified to express my views. We appreciate your delightful frankness. But... Deuce, take it, if we must work for a living. That will not be necessary. How else are we to maintain a proper establishment? Upon the income derived from your wife's dowry. But I have no dowry. One will be provided. By whom? By me. Barbara nibbling at a piece of cake. That is very good of you, Eccles. I do not understand. That, sir, goes without saying. 
I shall, however, out of my private means, which are fortunately large, provide a marriage settlement for this young lady, which will be ample to satisfy your combined requirements. But one moment. I have for some time desired to be of financial assistance to you, sir. But my strict business instinct prevented me from making a loan, which I knew could not possibly be repaid. I could not offer it to you directly in the form of a gift. As a gentleman, I could not have accepted it. Quite so. I know my place well enough not to be guilty of any such impertinence. My present proposal, however, solves the difficulty to perfection. My dear Archie, since you did not object to the idea of living upon Miss Chirpstone's money, you cannot possibly object to the idea of living upon mine. That seems a reasonable deduction. Just so. The arrangement places you under no personal obligation to me. Certainly not. I could hardly permit myself to be placed in any such ridiculous position. Your dignity will not suffer in the least. May I be permitted to ask, however, why you have chosen to remain in service? Surely a man of property? A most natural question, sir. I can only answer it by saying that a manservant's life is an easy and well-regulated one. By leading it, I have also been relieved of certain social obligations and matrimonial enticements which would have proved extremely distasteful to me. But why should you part with what you have? I speak, of course, from a purely disinterested point of view. I shall keep sufficient to provide myself with an old-age pension suitable to one in my chosen station— the remainder I cannot possibly enjoy, as I am expecting to go into absolute seclusion for a term of years. Into absolute seclusion? What sort of seclusion? The penitentiary, miss. I shall undoubtedly receive the maximum sentence. I am quite resigned to it. Is your expected incarceration the result of one of your former occupations? In a way, sir. There is no reason for mincing matters. The basis of my fortune and the reason for my present infelicitous position is forgery. This decidedly alters the situation. I cannot accept, as my marriage portion, the proceeds of another's career in crime. It would hardly entitle me to an assured position in society. On that point, miss, you are entirely mistaken. But I assure you that you need not feel ashamed— Forgery, it is true, gave me my start, but the bulk of my property has been acquired by speculation in cheap real estate rented for questionable purposes. That is quite different. I will further relieve your mind by telling you that I already have made restitution to the victims of my earlier felonies. I am glad to hear that, Eccles. Very glad to hear it. I have also kept a list of those who have suffered by my later depredations— it had been my intention to begin settling these moral liens at an early date. I shall, however, take the liberty of handing that obligation over to you, sir, when you have paid the listed amounts, together with compound interest at six and one-half percent, which is one-half more than they would have been entitled to expect on any safe investment, there will still remain an honestly acquired residue which I trust you will use wisely. Your sentiments do you credit, Eccles. But do you think such generosity necessary? I mean in the manner of the extra one-half percent? I prefer to err on that side, miss. Before I was a forger, I was, for a time, a student of theology. 
I have never wholly rid myself of a belief in the doctrine of atonement. You have banished my last scruple. As an unbiased party to this discussion, I can honestly advise Barbara to allow you to make the proposed settlement. Thank you, sir. And now, sir, I beg leave to give you notice, asking that you will kindly waive the usual month. Is such a request not considered most unusual? It would leave me infernally short-handed. I am sincerely sorry to inconvenience you, sir, but my sudden determination to leave has been brought about by the fact that I have been shadowed for some days by a large man with a dark moustache, slightly curled at the ends. You may have noticed him leaning against the area railing as you came in. No, Eccles. I did not happen to notice him. His face was at one time familiar to me. When I was engaged in a tidy little smuggling business before I entered the theological seminary, he was employed in the capacity of a Secret Service detective. I think I am beginning to understand. My constitution is somewhat impaired by sedentary habits. I can no longer stand the nervous strain. You intend to give yourself up? Yes, miss, at once. Of course, if it is a question of your health, I cannot interfere. Thank you, sir. I will give you the address of my lawyers. He takes out a card and writes on it, Messrs. Slasher and Guile, 422 The Tower Building. They will receive instructions from me at once regarding our arrangement. He hands card to Barbara. Barbara, in a bored voice, Thank you, Eccles. I trust you will not be too uncomfortable. You are very kind, miss. Will that be all, sir? Archie nods. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye, miss. Goodbye, Eccles. Eccles goes out and shuts the door. Rather a good sort, Eccles. Barbara, rising and coming over to the tea table. I cannot approve of this modern sentimentality. Is it not enough to lionize the criminal in novels and on the stage without making a hero of him in real life? They seat themselves at opposite sides of the table. We may, however, consider our affair settled, I suppose. Barbara, pouring tea. In a sense, yes. Although, my dear Archie, you have made me a definite proposal of marriage. I have given you no answer, definite or otherwise. Of course, I admit the understanding which exists between us, but I cannot lay myself open to future criticism on the part of your family and friends, who will, of course, become my family and friends, by undue haste in according to you the name and privileges of a fiancé. I quite agree with you, my dear. You need entertain no apprehension whatsoever. Without Eccles, it will be necessary to establish a proper chaperonage. Otherwise, I cannot call upon you here in your apartments. Quite so. Nor I upon you at your hotel. The situation requires considerable tact. We must observe the most scrupulous decorum. You may, however, kiss me just once. Archie, putting down his cup and rising. Thanks. Thanks awfully. I think I shall... There is a knock at the door. Dash it all. This is most annoying. Come in. The door opens and Eccles enters. Oh. Well, Eccles? Begging your pardon, sir, 
but you will doubtless recall that I gave you my notice about five minutes ago. Archie exasperated. Quite so. What can I do for you now? If you have not yet filled my place, sir, I should like to be taken on again. Barbara, with asperity. This is a very sudden change of mind on your part, Eccles. I am very sorry, miss, to have occasioned inconvenience. But what have you done about the large man with the black moustache slightly turned up at the corners? I am happy to say, sir, that my alarm was unwarranted. Indeed. I was not mistaken as to the man's identity, merely as to his present calling. He is no longer a detective. Ah. He is utilizing his peculiar talents as an agent for a life insurance company. But I say... Wait, Eccles? Yes, miss? Will this alter the... the... By no means, miss. I have never gone back on my word. Then, Archie, dear, I think it can do no harm to take him on again. Thank you, miss. Then, Eccles, you are re-engaged. Thank you, sir. Barbara, taking a cigarette from Archie's case. I am sure we will all get on very well. Is there anything else for the present, sir? Send away my taxi. I shall stay for supper. And Eccles? Yes, sir? You might let Miss Barbara have a check for five hundred in advance? Very good, sir. He goes out and shuts the door. Curtain. End of play.